This is Masters Cast, the first He-Man and She-Ra podcast, episode number 81 for Sunday, February 4th, 2024. To watch this in video format, head over to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at masterscast. That's youtube.com slash the at symbol masterscast. Welcome to our Masters of the Universe Revolution review and reaction. I am John. I'm Katie. I am Martin. I'm Josh Delancourt. So we all just got done watching Masters Universe Revolution, which is the sequel to Masters Universe Revelation. And it is quite possible that when we are talking about it, we will use the terms revelation and revolution interchangeably because that's what I tend to do when speaking about it because they both begin with an R. <laughs> it is a little confusing. I thought we could do our initial thoughts first that are spoiler free as usual. So just like a little section here of spoiler free, and then we can get into the nitty, uh, uh gritty. Um, so who would like to start? I don't want to be the first one. Okay. I'll start. I'll start. Yeah. Take it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, spoiler free, uh, we're going to keep this. Uh, so I'm going to, for a minute here, focus a little bit on the storytelling. I obviously, uh, once again, we'll mention that I cannot see the animation, so I don't have any comments on that. But I listen to the show, and I care a lot about the story. So, uh, quick review in Revelation parts one and two. Part one I thought was really good and well written. Part two, not so much. Part three or Revolution, um, I think, is uh, much better written um i still have quibbles and nitpicks with bits and pieces of the story that we will get into later uh but it is a much more cohesive storyline than we got in especially part two of revelation um and it reminded me a lot in tone to uh mike young 2000x so that appealed to me as well it felt like it almost could have been part of that series um in the in the tone and the way it was written and the voice acting and kind of everything in a lot of ways um so overall an improvement for sure nice katie um my ranking is similar to Josh's. Um, I did rewatch Revelation over the last couple of days just because it had been a while and I wanted to refresh my memory about what came before Revolution. And part one, I still I still like it a lot, uh, especially the first episode is very reminiscent of the old show from the 80s. So it's got a nice place in my heart. Um, part two, still don't like it. There's just some things that are hard to stomach. It doesn't quite feel like He-Man to me still, but this new one, Revolution, I freaking loved it. I watched it twice already and I want to watch it again. It just, it made me laugh. It made me emotional. It just it hit a lot of good, good spots for me um, with all the characters. The voice acting was on point. Like they killed it. <laughs> um, the animation was fantastic. The writing was fantastic. Yeah, um, there's nothing that stands out to me that I don't like about Revolution. I think it was very enjoyable. Martin? 
Um, yeah, similar to uh, Josh and Katie, I think I I watched part two and thought it was a bit of a um, a bit of an uneven five episodes after loving the initial five episodes. Uh, di didn't dislike it by any means, but thought it was maybe the the weaker of those two parts. And this one I thought was definitely a step up. Um, a bit a bit more coherent, a bit better written. Certainly, like the dialogue felt a lot better to me. Um, animation was excellent. Um, if I had one nitpick, it was it was just it was a bit too short. I mean, they packed a lot into a few episodes, but uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was it was executed really well. Um, very easy to watch again. I think I watched it like back to back on the same day. I went through and watched it again. It was it was a very easy movie like watch. So I agree with all of you, actually, for the most part. Um, I did not watch rewatch Revelation on purpose. Um, I just kind of had my lingering feelings of that. I liked part one. I did not like part two. Um, I don't I don't remember how many times I watched part two. I might not have even rewatched that one fully other than kind of scrubbing through it. Um, Revolution, like Martin just said, felt like a movie to me more than five episodes. So I really liked that. It was a very easy binge. Um, I also rewatched it almost immediately after the first binge because it was that good. Um, like already mentioned, it, the, really the only thing is it suffers from being too short. Uh, I think for the amount of content and story development they were doing to kind of wrap it up in case this is the last portion that we get of, of this kind of continuity, um, it did feel a bit rushed. That would be my main complaint uh, if I had to put a complaint on it. But it felt like they course corrected, like they heard the complaints about revelation. Not, I'm not, and I'm not putting validity on all of like the vicious complaints but there were valid complaints for revelation um regardless of tila just even characterizations that i thought shouldn't have happened like savage he-man and, and things like that uh this one i thought was way more spot on especially with the tone i thought all of the voice actor changes were actually upgrades um no disrespect to like sarah michelle geller i like her a lot as an actress but as i said in our reviews of Revelation, I there was just something about her voice that did not fit Tila for me. Like I thought maybe more Adora actually for her uh, voice, but Melissa Benoist, who is Supergirl on the CW show, I thought she, uh, the change to her and Tila was fantastic. By far a vastly upgraded Queen Marlena uh, with Gates McFadden, um, which we can talk about you know in the spoilers. Um, but um, so I thought all of those, the new voice actors were also great with William Shatner. Um, surprisingly good, I thought, because yeah. I was like, eh, William Shatner. Um, but no, I, I really enjoyed that uh, as well. So really my only nitpick uh, in a general sense is that uh, it was a little rushed uh, for, for what they were trying to do. But uh, otherwise, I think, on, you know, and online, it's been getting such a positive response. So I think... I hate the phrase that, that you kind of had to maybe make the mistakes that you made in Revelation in order to get a very, very good revolution. Uh, I, I think it's safe to say. Um, but uh, I, I think what's great is so we all kind of have a similar opinion. So I am interested to see how we go when we delve now into 
kind of the nitty gritty and the spoilers. So spoilers. Which, before we do, before we get into spoilers, I oh. want to just add a couple of quick uh, things kind of based on what everyone else said as well. Just really quick. One, uh, we all agreed that the, uh, it sounds like the, the writing and the story were much better uh, this time mm -hmm. out. I did notice in looking through the credits for these that all five episodes were written by the same two people. Um, which was not the case with Revelation. So that might have helped with the kind of cohesive story that we got. It was fewer cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. Um, and uh, I guess that's the main thing. I, I, I would also throw in, I'll get deeper into this with the spoilers, but I also want to throw in that I feel like in Revolution, they did a much, much better job of drawing from existing uh, masters of the universe uh, mythos and lore and things that have come before and incorporating that rather than trying to create new things that don't quite fit or change things that were already established, which they did too much of, especially in part two of Revelation, which was you know some of my issues with that one. Um, this one, they kind of drew from all across uh, different media of masters in a, in a much better way that all seemed to, to mesh a lot better without trying to shoehorn in a lot of stuff that uh, made the fans very angry <laughs> with the revelation <laughs> at times. And I think... Um, I think one way to sort of sum all that up is Revelation, especially part two, felt more like Mattel saying, this is what we wish the 80s cartoon was, a toy commercial. And we're going to make sure we get as many toy things in this as possible, whereas this this one felt more like the story uh, came together more organically and the pieces that were there uh, from past incarnations were much more organically incorporated into the story they were telling rather than it feeling like a toy commercial. Oh, Valid agreed. point. Who were the writers, by the way? I kept missing that at the beginning of the episodes and I meant to go back and look and forgot. Do you remember their uh, names? Kevin Smith and Tim Sheridan. Tim Sheridan, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, job, he, and he did like um, Tim had done things like, you know, Justice League and things like that um, and DC Comics. Cool. And of course, we I think we know who Kevin Smith is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, the general plot spoilers um, is you have the Horde invasion. We get backstory on similar Horde. We get backstory on Skel Skeletor. We find out he's. Keldor, Randor's half-brother. Um, He-Man's power gets upgraded. Tila's powers as the sorceress get upgraded. And then we live happily ever after. I would say that's the quick and dirty summary. <laughs> so, but what, what would you guys like to start with? Let's, I, I mean, should we, I think going through more or less chronologically, is probably best we, we don't have to linger long on every episode um 
I think one thing uh, I wanted to to mention. So the first quibble, I have a, I have a few quibbles that uh, we'll be getting out as we go along. But my first quibble with this was, I was not super. Uh, I had a hard time buying in. Let's say to uh, Randor's death at the very beginning uh, of the series. I feel like it would have felt more authentic if he if if they tried to heal him and there was some you know techno babble as we might say in star trek fandom or something like that some reason why he couldn't be healed whether um, you know it was too advanced or whatever the issue was rather than just they ah, i'm done see you guys later <laughs> which is it didn't feel like randor to me so that 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 was the setup for the show and i get why they had to let him die um but i it didn't that was one of the few things in the entire revolution thing that felt out of sync with the character to me and what did what did you guys think yeah now that you say that i agree <laughs> i haven't really thought about it that way but that would make more sense in your version this is why I didn't watch Revelation before Revolution, um, because I do feel characterizations of the char characters <laughs> uh, change slightly in Revolution. Like when I was watching it and thinking back to Revelation, like remember how just like, I'm sorry to say it, but like such an asshole Randor was in Revelation. <laughs> yeah. Like this was like a complete thing. Like, you know, the king must die, blah, blah, blah. I like this characterization way better than how he was portrayed though in revelation so i kind of liked when he stopped tila from trying to heal him because he was kind of like hey i'm the king i've served my time you know it's time for adam to grow up and and take on what he needs to do so i kind of liked that aspect of it but i don't think it necessarily fits with how he was portrayed in revelation i was a little why he was dying because I, there, there's an explanation that Granamir gives in the second episode or the third episode where it, it is to do with the the revelation of part one and the events and I, I was like is Randor affected by that he's just a guy <laughs> like why would he be is it because he's a descendant of King Grayskull and he's sort of linked to the, the magical goings-on of the universe. I don't know whether I just misunderstood that part, but did, did everyone else think the same thing? I don't remember Granamir saying anything about it. He probably did, and I just forgot. Um, all I remember was them saying he had some kind of disease and it had been progressively getting worse, uh, and he just didn't tell everybody which there's a whole lot of that in Revelation and Revolution. That's just kind of a recurring theme. You have a secret. You don't tell anybody. It's like, that has not gone well for the past two parts. Why would it go well now? Um, but yeah, I don't feel a little threatened there. The other events, but I kind of got the impression that he was also affected by the mysterious thing that was killing Granamir. Because when... Uh. He Granamir is told that the king is dying. He's like he's his eyes sort of widen and there's a sort of visual 
of him going, hmm, interesting sort of thing. So I, I didn't know if that was why Randor had died, but he's, he is in some way linked to everything else in Eternia. I don't know. I might have just made that up entirely, but that was why I thought he was dying. Well, you know, there could have been more, like, let's say, you know, when they're fleshing out the story, right, there's some things that get cut. And there's uh, things in this, like, just like out of the blue mentioning Onlot Gar. And if you're not familiar with the Mike Young cartoon, or if you did not read the prequel comic book, um, for re revolution, uh, like, I feel like casual fans that are just watching this because they were He-Man fans into eighties would have no idea what they're referencing. Um, cause it's not developed at all, uh, in the storyline, uh, of this cartoon series. Uh, so it could be something like that, where it was a bigger, bigger part maybe of the plot, um, that kind of got cut. I could see that because that there was a weird dynamic with the whole Granamir thing when Tila was talking to him even about like paying respects and yeah it was all very kind of mysterious I thought though that they did as far as Granamir goes they did a really good job with um like it felt like it felt like Granamir right like the way he was he's been portrayed in the past that's still that sort of petulant child but also this wise old dragon and that sort of mix uh, very similar um, to the dragon in the Landover books. <laughs> Anybody's ever read those? But um, he, John Delancey, voiced uh, Granamir, and um, while he did not sound in anything particularly like uh, Granamir from like the filmation series or whatever, thought they got the characterization, uh, you know, a little little bit modernized, but. Uh, still, it still felt like Grandavir to me. I, the, I liked his inclusion. I didn't necessarily care for the kind of like shoehorning of the, he was like in control of the snake powers. Mm -hmm. That was kind of odd, odd to me. I, I would be on board with, he knew about that and like maybe how to get them right um but kind of that he was controlling them um and like maybe because we know more things about like well what about king hiss and and other characters you know that are not included uh in this that that was a little confusing to me um i love though when uh tila was when she was in um dark smoke and she sees the tapestry on the wall and is like there's four towers, uh, which makes sense since they were including Havoc as one of the powers, right? So you had mm -hmm. the Zor, the Snake, and then you had Havoc, um, that there was actually a fourth tower, which I'm sure is a thing that they would love to explore, like the backstory on, on Havoc, um, if they were able to make more episodes or perhaps in, in, you know, in a comic book or something. But I thought... I liked that explanation of it. I just didn't understand why uh, Granamir was like directly giving the the snake power to somebody. Like as someone who completely forgot where that came from, that that was in Mike Young, right? I mean, I think it was also in other things, but it was mostly in Mike Young. Yeah, the snake men at least were in Mike Young. 
Yeah, it's just, it's been a while since I watched it. So I don't remember much about King Hiss or the origins of the snake power and green goddess and all that. I know it's a thing. I just, it's never been one of my favorite things, I guess. So I don't recall much about it. So for me, as someone who doesn't remember every detail of every He-Man show ever, uh, it was fine. But I get that if you know the, the backstory more that you would want something else to happen with that. Well, and it it's... did kind of create a, a good cohesiveness though, right? Because we don't really have that strong anyway of a origin for Tila in the snake form. That was more like mini comic territory, right? So I, I didn't mind that aspect of it at all. I think I just was confused about Granamir being involved. Yeah, well, they did pull that together pretty well, right? Because we, in the mm -hmm. past, we didn't really have a solid understanding of not just like Tila in the snake armor, but she's a hero, right? And then we've got Snake Mountain <laughs> and the Snake Men, who are very much on the villainous side of things. So um, kind of pulling that together, uh, I thought worked pretty well. The, the gods that they mentioned from the past were Zor, Havoc, and was it, what was the third one? Was that Serpos? Or what did they Ka. say? They said, yeah, it, well, it's oh, the Ka, snake, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, like her staff. So, um, which I think is interesting. I feel like this is pure speculation um, on my part, and it's kind of coincidental because of... Uh, some books I've been rereading uh, recently, but I kind of feel like they're somewhere in the the team, creative team working on this, um, perhaps on Revelation as well, but in Revolution especially with the, this whole, um, you know, three gods and uh, the uh, Preternia being part of the, the afterlife thing and all, all of these bits and pieces that they put together. The, these are concepts very similar to Dungeons and Dragons and uh, the Dragonlance novels that uh, were born out of Dungeons and Dragons back in that era. Um, I know the the competing series that um, for Dungeons and Dragons, Tunnels and Trolls, uh, Larry Dottilio worked on. And so that kind of filtered into a lot of the stories he wrote. Uh, back in the day as well. But um, this idea of like the three gods and um, sort of the the more like quasi-religious aspects of this particular uh, series, the Revolution uh, series, feels like they drew some inspiration um, from, from uh, Dungeons and Dragons and that sort of thing. Martin, you had something to say. I, I cut you off earlier. Oh, it kind of lined up with what you were saying, but I was just going to say that um, it was nice to see them just, when you look back at uh, the, the three powers, the four towers, everything seems to have its source in a different version of um, Masters of the Universe. Like we had Granomir was filmation. Um, the Havoc was from the CGI show. That's a big part of that show. Um, the Goddess and Snakeman connection was sort of from the 
DC comics from a few years ago. So everything kind of came together to form a, a new cohesive form. So I thought they were just interested in how they combined everything together to create that new industry continent. What did you think about um, the fact that when Tila gets the Havoc form, um, that she kind of, they took elements from New Adventures uh, Krita. I, yeah, I thought that was really cool. I, I thought I was going a bit mad when I first saw it because I was like, oh, I'm just seeing things. It's, <laughs> it's me looking for new adventures and everything again. But uh, you commented on it as well, I think, didn't you, John, as we were yeah. reacting to the episodes. And I think that there's definitely the hair, um, the overall, like the skin color, the, the little necklace that she's wearing. That would, those are all definite critter elements. So I, I think almost certainly that was the intention there, which is nice. The, the one new adventures element in the show. <laughs> so, if they ever do another season, please, please do something else. Please put somebody in. Plug <laughs> be part of the horde or something. I'd be thrilled, <laughs> even with a cameo. <laughs> Can I jump in with another quibble? Sure. <laughs> this is this this is I I tolerated it I guess in Revolution, and they did it again in Revolution, and uh, I find it really irritating. Which is why do we have to keep renaming Skeletor? Skeletor is a perfectly fine name. If you need to <laughs> modify it, like Dragon Blaster Skeletor or Battle Armor Skeletor or any of the variations of Skeletor that we have had over the last four decades, then that's fine. But why do we have to keep calling him Skele-God and Skele-Tech and Skele-Whatever? Stop it! <laughs> okay, ran over. Now, since you brought up Skeletor, though, so... Okay, follow me here. I have a love-hate... Hate is a strong word, so I don't, don't take it that far. But... With the whole way they handled Keldor Skeletor. Okay. Now I, I understand they only had five episodes, right? Okay. I got that. Um, if you guys remember though, so when Tila takes the Havoc staff, right? She becomes that kind of Krita Havoc lady. Uh, and her skin turns purplish blue, if you will. I... I thought the whole Anwat Gar thing was kind of unnecessary because if you remember in the CGI show, like Keldor wasn't blue, you know, he would, you could clearly kind of tell he was related to the royal family and then Havoc, right? So the evil power is kind of what turned him into Skeletor. I, I thought it was set up perfectly for the same thing to happen in this one, right? If you had Keldor getting with Hordak, who gives him the Havoc staff, and this all is shown, right? But they had to do the more adult angle, I guess, and I think it was probably done to, to remain edgy, that he's you know, the bastard son, as they say in the, in the episode, of King Miro. I didn't think any of that was necessary. I I would have I would have thought he could have just been turned evil by being manipulated by Hordak and Havoc. Um, so 
while I loved the performance of William Shatner, I, it was so rushed that you, he shows up from Anwat Gar, somewhere we never heard of unless you've watched 2000X, and he has this like technology or what have you. Um, and then he's just like immediately made king, convenient. Um, and then it took like, you know, two seconds for Skeletor to snap out of it and realize that he was actually Keldor. Like, he's a real person. Oh no, he's me. Like, like that. It was just like, boom, boom, boom. And I, again, I understand they had five episodes, but I think they could have used the time in the five episodes a bit more efficiently if they had dropped this whole Anwat Gar thing that they didn't develop anyway. So I, I agree that it's rushed. There's no no question. And I mean, a lot of that is, like you said, five episodes. I get that. As far as, though, just the, the story itself, like I definitely prefer the idea of Miro and the Bastard Son and him being from Anwat Gar and all of that. Uh, that stuff because it does help solidify and fill in uh skeletor in this case i guess uh unknowingly or you know unconsciously or subconsciously um but it does give him the that sort of motivation right like oh i should have been uh king but there was this terrible thing that happened to me that um that kept it from happening and that sort of thing. Like, I feel like it's a more fleshed out, better, more interesting story that way. Um, but, uh, but I, I, there was, you know, bits and pieces of this one, that, of this one that were, that were, the story was fine. It was just that they were cramming a lot into a short span and that I, I definitely uh, don't disagree with. It would be great if if there is more you know if there are more seasons in this continuity it, to see them flesh out some of the stuff that got glossed over True. either in you know in flashbacks or what have you i think yeah, this I was think my favorite good. sorry um just to disagree with john a little bit this was my favorite treatment of keldor so far i think in like all the shows <laughs> Um, sure, it felt a tiny bit rushed, but I don't know. It didn't feel quite as rushed to me, I don't think, as it did to you. And all of the little elements they added in, even if they didn't develop it much, like Gar and all of that, um, and it gave a, a bit more reason for him to be away from the castle, the royal family, Eternos, because if he's just around, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't make as much sense to me that he was gone for so long and he's just now coming back. Um, so that's true. That I, I get, I can see that too, where like, you're like, well, how do you get him to, how did he go away? Right? Like, yeah. like he's not the king and everything, but like, where, where did he go? Okay. He went back to his home nation. Um, okay. I can, I can, I can see that a little bit. You know, <laughs> it, you know, it's funny too. So like, I, I also, I agree with you, John, like, uh, Shatner was fantastic in the role of Kildur. So good. One yes. one thing that did not occur to me till I was like all done with the with Revolution, and I was just kind of mulling it over for a few days and whatever. It occurred to me we have seen in animated form 
Keldor uh, three times. We've seen him in Mike Young. We've seen him in the CG show. And now we've seen him in Revolution. And it occurred to me after the fact that, you know what? I think one of the reasons Shatner was cast in that role is that Keldor has always kind of sounded like Shatner in the animated shows. If you go back and listen to Mike Young, they, it, it's clearly not Shatner, whereas this clearly is, obviously. He has a very distinct voice, but the the voice of uh, Keldor in Mike Young and the voice of Keldor in the CG show has that same... I don't know exactly how to describe it, but that's that same... Um, kind of tone and um, resonance, I guess, um, that old Shatner's voice has. Like, not so much when he was in the 60s Star Trek show, because he sounds a lot different now. Um, so it it really was sort of genius casting, putting him in, in that role. To piggyback to, just because they're the same character, right? The I didn't feel like Mark Hamill sounded like the Joker in this one. To me, he sounded like Skeletor. And maybe because I'm used to him voicing Skeletor now, but I just thought he did enough nuance in Revolution that I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, it's just the Joker voice, which is what I kind of felt often in Revelation. So I thought he did a better job too. Yeah, he really I, stepped it up, I think. Sorry, go ahead, Martin. No, I was going to say, I definitely agree with that, John. I think he had... I remember complaining about this when we did our part two review. Um, he has loads of moments where he slips into, like, Joker-esque, sort of the, the softer voice, where he's like, Oh, you man! Like that. <laughs> he tones that down a lot in this one, and he only does that a couple of times. But I felt like in part two, it was every other line he was just doing, oh, he man, rather gravelly type skeletal voice. Uh, he was much more consistent in this one with that, which I guess made sense for skeletals less, uh, less drunk on power um, role in this in this particular season. That's true. I just have you to mind? give William oh. Shatner, sorry, some extra claps for doing such an amazing job. <laughs> they should, in the next episode, they should definitely introduce the Snake Man so that they can have Keldor shout, Carl! at some point. <laughs> when <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, so... Uh, earlier, I mentioned that uh, I thought they did a better job of pulling from pre-existing Masters lore rather than trying to shoehorn other things in and switch things around and whatever. Um, there are a couple of uh, bits of that that I wanted to mention and get everybody else's takes on as well. One thing about this show that I was really glad that they did was maintaining... Uh, the technological slant for Hordeck, um, as opposed to like Wizard Hordeck that we've had in some versions <laughs> um, yep. over the years, I've I've always preferred the. Even though I'm I'm much more a fan of the you know fantasy magic aspects of Masters, I liked the 
um, the the difference being emphasized between Skeletor and Hordak. Skeletor was magic, Hordak was technology, and they really played that up. I wish the they kind of wish they hadn't done the whole Skeletech thing, but um, but whatever. Uh, but the um, the fact that they they maintained that rather than going with the sort of more wizardly uh, Hordak, uh, I appreciated. They brought Gwildor into it. I absolutely loved the back and forth with Gwildor and Orko with magic versus technology. Yes. Uh, it was so well done um, and that sort of thing. They, uh, of course, they brought in Granomir. Um, they and Keldor, I, we've been talking about and stuff. They um, they did a good job of, or like I said earlier, like organically pulling in uh, these various pieces. I think uh, I'm, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the the, the uh, staff of Ka didn't that initially. I know it was heavily used in. I can't remember if it originated in the Ladybird books, but I think it might have. If not, it was in the early mini comics, I guess, and made its way into the Ladybird books. But they they pulled a lot of this stuff from, you know, live action movie and filmation and you know storybooks and comics and what have you, and made it feel. Um, really made it mesh together really really well so much better than in part two of revelation um when they were just doing weird stuff that didn't make sense and i um really uh really appreciate how well that was done this time even the, the um, way that go ahead. real quick um that man at arms talked to gwildor was so spot on with the movie i feel like <laughs> It was just, yeah, very reminiscent. I could almost hear those voice actors from the movie in those roles. They were so close and so amazing. Yes, and he's so cute. Uh, <laughs> I remember the trailer that, came out and it showed Gwildor and me and my husband were just like, oh my God, Gwildor. <laughs> this was one of the best parts to me. And how great was it that, you know, like everyone everyone always talks about the fact that Gwildor was like, oh, he's just the Orko substitute because they couldn't do Orko in the special effects. or And then the two of them are kind of at each other's throats, right, at times <laughs> in this and arguing about uh, things. And I just, I loved, I loved how they put all that together. It was so well done. Uh, something I want to point out with the, with the Gwildor scenes, um, and you're talking about uh, not only drawing from different aspects of the fandom, right? But there were a lot of, like, if you paid attention, there were a lot of little Easter eggs for, like, the hardcore fans um, in here. And if you were paying attention, I took a screen grab, um, the car that Gwildor drives in the oh live-action movie is in the background outside of his hut. Um, oh. As you can <laughs> see there, behind Orko there. Uh, <laughs> that's great no <laughs> no <laughs> i can say <laughs> um so like i noticed that and then the big thing now see this is what what i like these kind of things so we knew that they were not allowed to use um shira right so like they were very open about that uh before revolution came out like it was like look we were unable 
to secure the rights from DreamWorks. We can't use She-Ra, blah, blah, blah. However, what I love about this is, you know, they didn't, they didn't do anything to say that Adora and She-Ra are not there, right? Because she's very much a part of the Horde storyline. And as you all saw, of course, they did the baby stealing scene yes. um, from that we saw, you know, in the original She-Ra cartoon. And if you pay attention, there's two cribs, right? And the crib that is fallen over, there's a stuffed unicorn, right? Coming out of the crib. <laughs> uh, so like there's little hints there to tell you, okay, Hordak just stole Adora. Uh, besides the fact that they also framed the scene kind of in the same way as they did in the filmation cartoon, including Hordak exiting with Adora through a window um, type of thing. So I thought that was particularly well done and I absolutely appreciated that they they put that. And I mean, it's like a flashback that lasts for what, 10 seconds um, yeah. in there, but it was just enough to a skirt around not being able to use the 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 Shira Adora character, um, but to still include it and like you know a, a, a casual person might have no idea really what was going on there. It might just look like they had invaded and you know tried to attack Prince Adam or something as a baby. But people who are fans and know the filmation cartoon etc would definitely I'm sure appreciated this. The inclusion yeah, of that scene. Yeah, it really is too bad that they were not able to include that because I think too it would have, um, it would have added a lot of uh, like emotional depth storyline wise to Randor's death scenes and um, that whole part of it because like it's it does. I mean, it, not exactly ring true, right? That like he's he's talking about Adam as if that's all there there is <laughs> in the family, and um, which obviously is not the the case at this point. So um, it's it, I think there there were opportunities, unfortunately, lost in that portion of the uh, the story because they couldn't get the rights. Very true. Very true. Yeah, Mattel, spend the money, whatever it takes to get the right? all of the rights under one roof. Just get it done. <laughs> well, and Just to that it. point, like I don't necessarily dislike the newer idea they have, which is, you know, instead of like Force Captain Adora, she is Despara, which was in spoiler alert, the end credit scene. Right. So like they were able to do that, which also opens the doorway right to Adora. But they, I guess they could also make Despara somebody else, um, which I would not approve of. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried uh, there is a sequel comic book coming out, uh, miniseries. And one of the covers, I think it's issue four, who is Despara? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic because the comics have been able to use adora uh, and shira um in in the past uh so maybe it's just a issue of they were not able to secure the entertainment rights for a cartoon series um but that they were able to have hopefully use her in the a comic um i'll be interested to see that the the sequel comic because 
you know, I guess it, I would say it was written with the notion that, you know, there's no more episodes on the, on the block for this series. So it may give us uh, a juicier ending uh, with more yeah. Horde information and stuff. Uh, so I'll be looking forward to that. I, I hope this does get picked up for more, more seasons, more episodes, however that works. It seems like it's, uh, it's been more successful than Revelation and um, maybe uh, they can use this as a springboard into giving us some more uh, entertainment uh, down, down the road here. Yeah. And I'm sure <laughs> the reason they didn't do this is because of rights and all of this, but it was, I was bummed a little like when Randor was dying that he didn't say anything about Adora. He was just like, my whole family is here. Yay, I can die now. And it's like, but, mm. and then towards the end, Marlena is like in the fight, I think. And yeah. Hordak's around. I'm like, why isn't she screaming at him? Like, Where's my dog? You know, like, that would have been hilarious um, just to have something else in there. But I, I do understand why. And I am very grateful that they gave us what they did. There could have been a throwaway line, you know, like when Marlena and Adam were in jail. Yeah. Um, I, I had hoped that there would be a throwaway line there. Because you know how they always go with the whole Marlena knows more than you think she knows. Right, right, like right, she right. already knows he's He-Man and stuff like that. I thought like it would have been, even if it was something like uh, referring to like, and Hordak has done more, you know, to this family than you even realize. Or some, some something like that, I think would have been yeah. an excellent line to just throw in there. Because again, it could mean anything, but it also fits in in what we know as fans. Yep. But I didn't write the episode. Yeah. <laughs> can can we talk for a minute about the kind of the end uh, of this series? I get Which why they. I the get end? why they did it. I get why they did it. I understand what, what they were going for. Um, I even uh maybe reading too much into it, but I don't think so because they, they did a couple of other things uh, in there as well. Um, it's, it's got Star Trek overtones and all, uh, to it and almost, almost referencing back to a sixties Star Trek episode, but I found the whole, oh, we're dissolving the monarchy, happy independence day tourney of, uh, that was, that was kind of cheesy over the top and really not what I wanted, <laughs> where I wanted the story um to go like i get it i get what they were going for but it it really kind of rubbed me the wrong way too well it kind of makes out that things were bad under king grandor mm -hmm. which i didn't think of that were they that's <laughs> like everyone yeah. seemed okay but when adam dissolves the monarchy they're all like yay <laughs> i thought <laughs> Oh, come on, it was all right. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, and like, I'm always confused at the dynamics of Eternia as well, because like, I don't feel that King Randor was necessarily in charge of the whole planet. Um, like, especially since he, if you read the prequel comic, like he, they don't get along with Anwat Gar at all. Um, uh, that nation. Uh, 
and if you think to the CG show, you know, like the, the, they kind of made it so like the different areas kind of had their own thing going on. Uh, so the fact that he dissolves that monarchy anyway, like, I, I don't know. It was it was such a bizarre speech. I thought the speech that He-Man gave was not good at all. <laughs> it, uh, it's so stilted, like, yeah. It was you know, like, this I, is yeah. where the story is going, so I will say what is necessary to make the story go there. That's what it feels like. <laughs> I mean, I like that, um, like, He-Man and Tila get their happy ending and that they'll be, like, he chooses, like, I, I understand why they did it, right? Because if you go back to the first episode when Randor says, you know, basically, you need to choose. Are you going to be the king or are you going to be He-Man? And I think, like, he kind of did the best of both worlds at the end, right? He knew he picked the wrong king by letting Keldor be king. I think he sees that he's more valuable as a combination of Adam and He-Man, so therefore he shouldn't necessarily be the king, and since he can't pick the king, uh, due to, you know, picking Keldor and that being bad, um, <laughs> you know, he's gonna let people be elected. But like, then there was that throwaway line where like, like Tila already knew that Andra was like running for political office. I was just yeah, like, so oh, random. what is this? It's so random, so random. <laughs> Stop the counts. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I was just like, I, like, I can't, like, Martin, you live under a monarchy, right? Like, can you imagine this? Is like, <laughs> but I don't know. It's sort of, I, I don't know. Like, I don't look, like, it reminds me the feeling. I, I, I understand all the reasons against what I'm about to say, <laughs> but it kind of, Reminds me um, a little bit of the Aliens movies. I don't know if anybody of you, you three, have seen those, but like his first Alien movie, it's pretty good. And then Aliens, which is fantastic, and then in Alien Three, which is terrible, they <laughs> undo all the good things that the heroes accomplished in Aliens in the second movie, and. It basically makes that everything that, that they sacrificed, everything that they did, sort of meaningless in that second film. So a lot of Aliens fans, myself included, just pretend like the series ends at movie number two and nothing else happened after that. And this kind of leaves me with a similar feeling. It's like we've spent 40 years with these characters protecting the kingdom of Eternia from Skeletor. And now in a 30 second scene, we're going to say, ah, no more kingdom. And it's like, I don't know. It just, it, it really, it just did not sit well with me at all. As much as I enjoyed this series, I kind of wish they hadn't done that. There, there's so many other ways it could have done, gone um story-wise um it didn't have to end necessarily with adam slash he-man becoming king um and it just i just i don't know it just does not sit well with me i think if the speech was better it, it could have sold me <laughs> the speech Maybe. was just really bad like yeah. i don't know it was really bad. You know what? If it too, if it didn't, um, if it didn't feel so much like, 
Uh, I can't remember the name of the Star Trek episode that I'm thinking of. I want to say that it's called Omega Glory, but I could be mixing up the titles of the 60s Star Trek series. There is a similar thing that happens there, and it's like it's what it's like this weird transparent thing where we're we're declaring the United States Independence Day as a thing on this planet now, and um this it that's that was the other thing right like it felt so weirdly um trying too hard to tie our world and our in the u.s <laughs> whatever into eternia i don't know I, I hate it when things do that too far that's one of my one of my most disliked episodes of star trek for the same reason it's like we don't it doesn't need to shift in that in that way right like monarchies are for better or worse a very well established part of fantasy fiction um or uh, empires alternatively you know that sort of hierarchy is a very well established part of fantasy fiction and whenever it goes into something more akin to modern democracies we end up with the star wars prequels <laughs> and <laughs> it's just i i fear for that element of it in if they do if they do continue like i want another season i want to see where else they go with these characters and this this continuity but that aspect of it i worry is going to go off the rails yeah i totally see what you're saying I want an election race in the next season where it's like Andra running against Triclops for <laughs> like president <laughs> uh, and Triclops is like from some like crooked Andra. He's putting up anti up posters everywhere. <laughs> the only um I don't know, plus I can see for them doing it this way is how would you explain He-Man and Tila not living together if they keep this relationship that they've established at the end? It would, I feel like it'd be weird. Like she'd have to be in Grayskull and he'd have to be in the palace. I don't know. Like how else could they have done it to keep those together and keep her maintaining the guarding of Grayskull and... Well, they could have done know. a few things. They could have moved the the royal seat to Grayskull, like the, and it had been the case in like days of King Grayskull or whatever. They could have That's done true. something along those lines. They could have, you know, done something uh, where, you know, due to some whatever clause or whatever decision being made or tradition or however they want to explain it away, let let Adam slash human pass the kingship to, I mean, he already did that, right? Like to Keldor, but like to someone uh, more trustworthy. So for example, man at arms, right? Like we could, I could see that him being a perfectly suitable, suitable king uh, or whatever, but there's, there's like endless ways they could have done it without 
without going the route that they did <laughs> like where i what i would what that would have felt more true to the property to me right so i actually love your ideas josh well done <laughs> and even grayskull at this point do they need to keep it looking like grayskull or can they just make it look like the hall of wisdom all the time that's true yeah, i mean, I mean that the board really act changed it that would have worked too because because like it's kind of coming full circle right if you accept the king grayskull part of the mythos which they clearly made part of this because there's that king grayskull statue right at one point in revolution um the uh if you do that it sort of comes full circle right like okay well you know destinies have been fulfilled teal has become the sorceress He-Man is now king, and will rules from the original uh, seat of power on Eternia, which is Castle Grayskull. Like, they could have totally wrapped it up that way and made it, uh, make, made it come full circle rather than what they did. So, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of different ways that I personally, anyway, would have been happier with. Yeah. Well, I have something positive to talk about um that i liked um that is surprising given anyone who knows me and that is the fact that in revolution i was completely sold on tila <laughs> i am now a tila fan it's about time Be because a loved the voice actress change to be honest that performance fit her so much better um than sarah michelle geller again no disrespect to sarah michelle geller love you in cruel intentions uh but not so much as Tila. Uh, then what I like is, you know, I love a transformation sequence. Tila gets a transformation sequence that does not, in my opinion, like take away from the fact that Adora has a transformation sequence. Cause I've always had a problem with like, Tila is not Adora. Tila is not Shira. You don't do this. However, Tila's destiny is to become the sorceress that I agree with. And I like, Tri Sorceress. I believe she even referred to herself as the Tri Sorceress in this scene that I have the little screen capture of up. I love this costume. I love the concept of her doing the three powers, you know, united as one. Um, and that the costume incorporates the Eternian uh, Tower from the Eternia playset. Um, all of that was fantastic to me. And so her story arc was annoying in revelation to me the way they wrote her here i feel they wrote her better here because she also wasn't trying to one up he-man if you will um she kind of was like not even an equal it's you know i even like that they put in those cheesy lines where he was like thank you for your help my sorceress and she was like anything for my champion right so like they they did the whole dynamic i feel to shut the people up that were saying Revelation was like, you know, the Tila show or, or whatever. <laughs> like you can still make Tila very powerful and put her on her journey, but you need to keep her characterization, I feel, correct. And I thought this, whatever pathway they changed for this one was fantastic. And like I said, I'm, I'm completely sold on this kind of conclusion to the whole arc that started uh, in Revelation. So, and whoever designed this tila look that i have on the screen 
uh, should get a bonus check because I <laughs> really loved the design. Like when I saw that and, and the transformation sequence, beautifully animated. Uh, the the I can it makes me want. You know, in the filmation cartoon, there was a few times when He Man and She Ra transform at the same time, uh, and there wasn't anything different, right? But you know, they kind of would cut between each transformation right. sequence um and that this is what that reminded me of so like it, it makes me want even more like what would they do if like there was a double transformation sequence of he-man and she-ra like i'm very excited for that um and i'm glad they kept the kind of sailor moon type transformation sequence that they um that they did uh what am i thinking they did on the uh, the Shira, the Shira Princesses of, of Power uh, uh, yeah. show. You know, you, anyway, you, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned the the voice acting for Tila. And I think one one thing where uh, you have to give uh, Melissa, what's her last name? Benoist. Okay, well, I'm gonna just not even try that. <laughs> anyway, she. Um, uh, did a great like I am particularly I find it annoying when voice acting changes in the middle of a series or even actors in general change in the middle of a series sometimes I can get over it sometimes I can't sometimes I have someone I prefer but she she deserves also a medal for taking it it over I didn't have a strong uh, feeling either way about being better or worse than Sarah Michelle Geller. Um, but she made it cohesive. She made it. She made it so I didn't think about it. It still was. That's just Tila, and it's fine. Um, where whereas that's often not the case when there's a an actor change. So I uh, I give her props for that for sure. I enjoyed also. I don't know if I'm the only one that thinks this. I feel like she talks pretty fast, uh, Melissa Benoist, but the way she does it, you can understand every word, even if she is talking quickly. So I feel like they were almost able to write more dialogue for Zila because she could fit it in in a shorter time span. I have no idea if that had anything to do with the writing, but it was just like, wow, they're really compressing a lot of information into her lines, I feel like, and she delivered it really well. I thought the dialogue in general in this one was better uh, mixed in the series. There were yes. lines that I still struggle understanding in Revelation, even having watched some of the episodes multiple times. Whereas this one, it was a way better audio mix, um, bringing that dialogue forward and making it easier to hear. I believe they did comment about that was a complaint a valid constructive complaint uh that was made for revelation and i believe they did come out and say because it was some of it was due to how the actors were recording during covid mm. whereas this one was probably all recorded in par possibly a professional studio and maybe even right, the same right. studio um i'm glad you mentioned the voices though one thing i wanted to um mention that i did not notice until i rewatched it the second binge was that uh so there's a scene 
uh, where we get like a back, a little bit of a backstory on Hordak, where he's explaining, you know, he has minions to do his fighting for him. And there's always, uh, every world has its own little champion. And they used Stonedar as the champion. Hmm. And um, he was voiced by Cam Clark, who was the Which voice. Which is awesome. Of, <laughs> yeah. Um, Mike Young, He-Man. Uh, and I, you, you didn't pick up on it until the second time I binged. I was like, wait a minute. That voice it sounds was, familiar. What was funny is I didn't realize it was Stone Door on the initially, but I was like, that sounded like Cam Clark. <laughs> I went and looked <laughs> it up in, uh, in the call sheet app, and I was like, yep, that's who that was. That was Cam Clark. That's awesome. Well, and I had a fan failure moment, too, because when I was watching, I was like, wait a minute, is that Stone Door? Is that Rock On? And I was <laughs> like... I was like, okay, I think it's good. rock on. It wasn't. And I ran me. over. Yeah, I ran over. I have um I have both Stonedar and Rock on in this glass display where I have all of the uh, vintage Shira toys, because they were in the Shira cartoon. And I had to I have them in their rock form. So I had to open them up. And I was like, oh, it is Stonedar. It's not rock on. <laughs> Stonedar was the only uh rock guy that I had uh as a kid uh, growing up, I didn't, I never had rock on. I have rock on now in a couple different ways, but um, Stone Dart was the only one. And yeah, I, I always loved him. So I, I'm really glad it was Stone Dart, not rock on. <laughs> um, um, go ahead. Real quick. Yeah. Because yeah, the second time around, I did turn captions on, even though I didn't feel like I needed them as much uh, in Revolution, but I still just want to make sure I didn't miss anything and there were a few things that i was just like some were like woohoo and some were like what so does peck sniffian mean anything because skeletor says peck sniffian prick at one point i'm like what the hell is this word what does this mean i had to look it up because i was like what did you say <laughs> it's, it's like the word for a very sort of grandiose pompous character uh oh. like very big words and thinks a lot of themselves so it, it does make sense in that context so okay. what a bring back <laughs> peck sniffian <laughs> we have to say it what three times uh in this episode to commit it to memory <laughs> well uh, did you do a drinking game of every time they said the word acolyte because that was like in every <laughs> sentence it was a lot <laughs> I was just like, did we get a thesaurus at this point? I've just like, I've heard this word so many times. Um, <laughs> very cool. a couple... Oh, go ahead, Martin, sorry. No, I just, it did sound very cool when uh, Keith David said Acolyte as Vordak. He had a very good voice, so I was happy to listen to, uh, <laughs> to him whenever he spoke. He was very cool. He did an amazing job. I completely agree. Um... Yes, there he is in all his glory. Beautiful. <laughs> the Hordak snorts, which was, yes! was great. Thank goodness. <laughs> no imp this time. Boo. But I the and the snorts were done like very tactfully, I thought. Uh mm -hmm. like it fit. Like he wasn't snorting all the time, but um and for anyone who's not sure what we're referencing, it's you know, Hordak snorts all the time in the filmation cartoon and you do that well uh you know he did in the mike young cartoon as well they let him 
briefly uh, snort. So it's just the characteristic we expect from Hordak. <laughs> and when he turned yeah, into the rocket, I was done, but More subtly done in this, but it was uh, nice, a nice touch. Yeah, for sure. And just two more things before I forget them with the whole caption thing. Um, when Granamir screams in dragon language at the end when he's fighting the big robot thing, it says in the captions, like, in English, you shall not pass. And I was just like, oh, that was the coolest thing. Um, One, oh, wait, before you go to the next thing, because you mentioned this, so I just want to, yes. um, as, like, toy references that were in the thing. So you said what he was fought, what the thing that kills Granomir is this. Does it look like the, like, a variation on the Fright Fighter toy from the vintage line? That's what it looked like to me. Just throwing it out there. I think I because it was hard to tell. Like I, I did see uh, when the monstroids were coming up out of the out of the ground. One of them was the actual toy that was Do you the have monstroid. Have a screenshot of that one because like, y'all mentioned it, and I oh wasn't yes, sure which one? I've got so many screenshots prepared for this. Absolutely, <laughs> I have monstroid. Because um. <laughs> yeah, that was my first thought when they started showing up. Oh my. Right. Yeah, okay. I think they could have used more to like actual Masters Universe toys in these sequences uh, that because they obviously have the rights to those. Those would have just been Mattel ones. They didn't use the filmation monstroids. Um, it was yeah. just this this toy. Um, but uh, I, I did think the other thing looked like a variation on the Fright Fighter. So I was just throwing it out there because I got all excited when I saw it. And then I was like, wait, is that the Fright Fighter? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was inspired by inspired by i like, I like yeah. that okay anyway there was my little name did uh i loved the line uh that skeletor had it was another one of those oh this sounds like this could have been right out of mike young uh thing but it made me laugh it was it was like one of the good funny lines we would have gotten in mike young uh as opposed to some that weren't so good uh, where Skeletor uh, says something along the lines of, if you keep breaking my toys, you'll just have to play with the old ones. <laughs> it just, it made me laugh. It was, it was, that was a good line. Good, funny line. There were I like that one too. One-liners. And the alliteration, oh, oh, so much great alliteration. I did think um, when he said, um, if you keep breaking my new toys, you'll have to play with the old ones. That at that point, he was going to summon all of the evil warriors. Uh, because we hadn't seen them for about three episodes. And I thought they were all going to come back at the end and help him. And I was a little disappointed that that didn't happen. Because yeah. Triclops didn't even get a line in this <laughs> in this time. Wow. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's anyone. at some point I didn't even think of. There was a lack of evil warriors. And even... Only, you know, only a few of the, or three, well, four if you count Horde Trooper, uh, appeared from the Horde line, and, and they didn't even speak. Yeah. Did Beastman show up? Did I miss him? Or is he dead? Because they, like, throw him in the pit in at the end of the second part, and I was like, oh, I don't remember that. Surely he's yeah, going to come back. Come. And I'm like, wait, no, I don't think he did come back. Crap. Is he actually gone? That's sad. He was so sweet to Evil Lynn in the second part. Well, and it's, they always pick interesting, you know how we got like weird cameos, like Pig Boy and stuff in, <laughs> in Revelation. Like at least this time they did, 
they did do. And I have to say, like, I like it that they gave some highlight to like characters that we don't really see animated. Like they did Rio Blast, even though I hated this toy as a child. But I loved his little like pew pew. pew. Yeah. <laughs> like just stupid, <laughs> stupid little things like that. Um, as kind of like a throwaway, you know, throwaway yeah. character that that's just there. So I, I do kind of appreciate when it's not always the same people like man-at-arms uh, all the time like like the earlier released people that were in the filmation cartoon so yeah you know i think i said it too during revelation and it was even more true in this one is there has always been that line uh that fine line with the portrayal of orko between childish and childlike is how i usually describe it i uh disliked mostly the way that he was portrayed in mike young as much as i like that show in that era um he was a little bit too far on the childish side whereas filmation he was more on the childlike side and they really in both revelation and even more so in revolution really um nailed that that character uh characterization for him on the childlike side without varying over into the childish um side that that mike young tended to do yeah i could see that and since john is putting up this amazing oh. screenshot now bring it back <laughs> uh orco making the rainbow so okay if you're gonna make a rainbow do it in the right order it's it's backwards the red should be on top <laughs> not on the bottom well but could it be like that because everything's backwards in trala Yes, but the rainbows there were like upside down. Well, that's Not... true. And you complain, and you had valid complaints about Trala and its rainbows in Re yes. in Revelation. So yeah, yes, it still <laughs> makes me angry. So angry, <laughs> but it's like they can't get rainbows right in this. Uh, I don't know why, <laughs> but I love that there is a rainbow, even if it is wrong. Just for you, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> there were at least rainbowy effects. Like during the transformation and when sorcerers is like up in the air doing lots of magical stuff it was very sparkly well you said you had three things what's the third thing oh the other thing was just a small thing um when skeletor gets stabbed and he turns back into keldor and then he's just completely defeated he like sits down or something and then he just goes yeah and it's like <laughs> in the captions it's literally m-y-a-h <laughs> it just makes me laugh so hard it was just, it was well done. <laughs> Which I, I don't think he ever actually said that. <laughs> I yeah. think that. It's just like a meme that's that's happened over the years. I think Alan Oppenheimer used to do some noises that sounded a bit like that. So he'd be like, like, just screams. But I don't recall an occasion in which he ever actually went, unless I might be wrong. I think you might be right, but it's such a meme now that we just expect it. Like, um, hang on. I'm just show you the shirt I'm wearing. See? Oh. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> 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 makes me happy. Real quick, we were briefly um, talking about 
uh, the toys like Monstroid and and whatever. Um, I just wanted to point out some other favorite moments of Revolution was when they showed the toy version of the Fright Zone. Like they didn't have to call it the Fright Zone, which they didn't. They didn't have to specifically call it out. It was just like an organic part of the flashback when uh, Hordak was training Kelador, Keldor. Um, so I thought that was beautiful. And and really the interiors of when they would show Hordak at a throne in his like, wherever he was in kind of in space, it looked like, it did at least give kind of like filmation vibes, uh, like, you know, it like an updated filmation aesthetic. So I thought that was nice. Um, and there was one other uh, specific, specific toy element that I wanted to point out that was by far I was very excited about, which was the use of battle armor He-Man, which is a design I've always liked. Like when they've tried to make He-Man quote unquote less naked, I remember them saying like kids thought he was too naked or something in recent <laughs> focus group things. I always thought, well then could we go towards battle armor He-Man? Um I thought the design looked awesome in the show and I loved, and I, I don't know if this was in the, the visual uh, description for you, Josh, during the episode, but at no. one point the battle armor chest plate is damaged in the show. And then it goes like, and it like spins up into not being battle damaged anymore. <laughs> yeah, and, awesome. and I just, and it's just very subtle. Like they didn't make a big deal out of it or anything, but it was just visually, very cool that it was it was it was like the toy and i thought it was um not like a toy commercial obviously it's they're not really selling the toy but like it wasn't right. like a toy commercial i liked how andra as a man at arms because if you think about it in the filmation cartoon man at arms was often inventing things and and giving it to people to use mm -hmm. um so the fact that she uh made that like kind of a plate to put over top of his uh, chess piece that then formed into the battle armor. I thought that was perfect. Uh, perfect nod and a perfect, uh, it, it, I want flying fist He-Man <laughs> to, to appear uh, in the, in the sequel. So anyway, those are just two, two things I wanted to point out. I was very happy with them as a fan. <laughs> um, can I point out something else real quick? Just mm -hmm. at the notes I took. So when I was watching Revelation, I noticed this, that them saying, let this be our final battle. They've said it three times now. <laughs> so episode one of part one, episode five of part two, both of those are Skeletor. And then Hordak says it in Revolution. And I'm like, okay, it's a great line, but when's it actually going to be the final battle <laughs> that y'all keep talking about? <laughs> but whatever. I just like that they kind of, all of these things I'm mentioning are just kind of, um, bringing it full circle. Um, Wait, real quick with that. I think yeah. they originally put it in Revelation as a reference to the live action movie when it's like, you know, let this be our final battle right at the end. Oh, I forgot That's that what I think. in the movie. But I do feel like you said when, when Hordak said it, I was just like, why is he saying that line? Like, I was just like, the, be creative, people. Um, <laughs> be creative. And before I forget, before you go on, uh, Katie, one screenshot. Um, did anyone else notice that motherboard in Castle Grayskull looks like the Castle Grayskull of the live action movie? 
Um, if you look closely, there's like the little skull there and it's like kind of all shaped. It's like from the, I wish I would have grabbed a screenshot of Castle Grayskull from the live action movie. But I'm talking about like the opening opening sequence of the live action movie when he's like, you know, at the center of the universe, blah, 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 blah. And it pans in on Grayskull. If you look at both of them back to back, you'll see that that is, uh, that is absolutely inspired by that Castle Grayskull design. So just pointing oh, nice. it out for anyone who didn't... Uh, didn't see that, but it, and go this goes back to what I said at the beginning, right? Like they did such a great job of pulling stuff from all over the original mythos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, when you were saying that John, that the center of the universe or whatever in the revelation part one and two at the beginning, they say center of the universe at the beginning of revolution, they say the center of creation. And I was like, is that on purpose that they're changing it? And if so, why? Or was oh. it just maybe due to the end of part two where Tila turns into Zor and with the snake well, biting? And yeah, it was a little bit more of a like a religious, uh, a religious uh, thing, right? On this on this season, like uh, it made me think of like uh, like like Catholic, right? Like Father, Son, Holy Ghost type type thing, like the three yeah. Trinity power really of 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 Eternia. So that that that. Can I speak? That could kind of mold into what you're saying with the change of the opening title sequence. Yeah, the that's interesting. The uh, going back to what I was saying earlier about the D and D um, influence and stuff like that in the Dragonlance books, which are sort of a spinoff of Dungeons and Dragons that the Dungeons and Dragons the original company published way back in the day. In that universe, uh, there are three gods that uh, are part of the religions and they, they kind of rule over and control some of the things that happen on uh, Kryn, which is the the planet that uh, the Dragonlance books are. Very good books. Recommend them. Everybody should read them. If you like Masters, it'd be really hard not to like Dragonlance. But those three gods were uh, Paladine, I think it's Gillian is the second one, and uh, Takesis, the Queen of Darkness. And, but basically, it's good god, evil god, and the uh, neutral god. And that, that that's what this sort of reminded me of. It's like we had Zor, good god, um, Havoc, evil god, and Cause kind of can go either way. Hmm. And speaking of neutral... There were all the Zors at the end. And I almost lost it when he was like, today we learned a lesson and starts talking. I was just like, ah! and Adam's like, what? And I'm like, he said today we learned the lesson. Are they doing a moral at the end? <laughs> like, that would have been amazing. Um, which they didn't quite do. But it was it was still interesting the way they did it. I'm sure y'all caught a lot more of the characters um, as Zor than I did. Because I was like, okay, I'm sure these are people that we've been introduced to before, but I don't recognize them. <laughs> I thought it was this immoral too, though. I think they did that on purpose. Yeah, totally. I think this kind of um, also uh, helped uh, explain away uh, a weird quirk in the filmation series where the sorceress turns into Zor, right? But frequently in the Filmation series, when they would refer to Zor, they would say he. Not every time, but every really? once in a while. And 
So that the the fact that she was sort of turning into the Falcon, uh, gaining you know t taking that power from Zor, this other god or whatever, and so they you know it it sort of helps explain away why why they were not always uh, consistent with the pronouns there, <laughs> <laughs> you know between the god or the sorceress. Speaking real quick of, of Zor, though, did you also, did you guys notice that um, when Motherboard turns into a bird, um, she turns into Screech? Yes. Yeah. So that was another nice nod. Um, and we didn't even mention Meg Foster voices Motherboard, who was Eva Lynn in the live action yep. movie. And I thought she was brilliant as Motherboard. Loved it. Yes. I had forgotten that that was her. And then during my rewatch, I paid attention. It was like, oh my God, yes. How did I not catch that? She's so amazing. <laughs> I would like to mention my personal favorite character in Revolution. Um, yellow cat crowd man who, <laughs> who shows up at the end of the series. Um, <laughs> Just in a in a very like specifically lingering shot when he's reacting to something that's going on and he's just like <laughs> looking from side to side and it was such an oddly specific design of this like weird big yellow cat guy in like a, a pink turtleneck and I was like I was like who's that guy why have we focused on him is he, is he important. I will I insert a screenshot. I can't find him in my folder. Oh, no. <laughs> no. But I kept looking at all the background characters after that guy. And I, I spotted, like, a yellow dinosaur man. And he's just in the background going like this. <laughs> hey. Hey, guys. <laughs> That's amazing. I just enjoyed the background extras. I thought it was a lot of surprising about a character with the background extras <laughs> i know leanne was disappointed that stratos only showed up once in the background uh i think it was at the funeral and then but i she was talking to us about this the other day and she's not here so i get to say it she was like yeah he was at the funeral but he didn't come to the coronation because he knew something was up <laughs> he was smarter than that <laughs> yes unfortunately leanne is sick and couldn't make it uh today but miss her. We are on Team Stratos, not Buzz Off. So <laughs> Buzz Off got more screen time. What's up with that? <laughs> Nobody Batman. asked for Buzz Off. <laughs> like, he got more of a close up Stratos got. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward it's to that. <laughs> What did you guys think of? So I really also liked Evil Lynn's characterization in this, how she's like dancing on the, I think I'm going to be good, but I haven't really decided yet. And she had the funny, I actually thought funny, like, you know, Adam and Tila sitting in a tree, you know, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. I liked that. I liked how she kind of redeems herself because one of my complaints, again, at Revelation, right, is like, okay, you sent her to Trala for punishment for, you know, destroying heaven. Okay. 
Like there didn't seem to be enough weight there. Um, so I do think she makes it back, but I don't necessarily like the conclusion at the end that she is now going to be like a cosmic enforcer with the Zodak people. I, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily, I liked that they mentioned uh, her homeland, which comes from, you know, the, the Mike Young show. Uh, so that was in that scene, but I didn't really jive with why she was becoming a cosmic enforcer. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind that aspect of it. The, um, the humanity listening tree was way over the top for me. Like I did not enjoy that, but, um, wait, didn't enjoy what? Say that again. The you know the whole he man and Teal is sitting in a tree. Thing. Oh, I just Did thought it was enjoy. funny. Yeah, it's that it was too over the top. But um, I you know I prefer my masters a, a little bit more on the serious side most of the time. But um, but they I mean, if they were going that Eva Lynn has always been one of master like all the way back to filmation right has always been one of masters more complicated characters and she's always been somewhat ambiguous at times and is definitely evil but you know she and tila work together in uh the witch and the warrior and things like that um i you know and they were definitely playing up some of that ambiguity in this one uh and had had uh her and Tila doing their thing with Grand Amare and all of that stuff that was going on. So having her end up on the, you know, Cosmic Enforcers, because Zodak is like the ultimate, like, neutral character in Masters, right? So if that is sort of the, what they're going for with Zodak's portrayal being, and the Cosmic Enforcers, I guess I should say, being maintaining the balance between good and evil if you were going to pull a character out of the master universe uh lineup of of uh, characters that we've had over the years and say we're going to make an existing character join the the cosmic enforcers with zodak and what have you she's probably the most logical choice i can't think of a, a better candidate I guess my point is we don't need a candidate at all. Uh, like, I just feel that she, it's too easy. Like she's just too, they're, they're made. I think she should turn good. I like that, but I still think she has penance to do for what she did. Um, and that putting her in that type of position, which is a very powerful position, um, but it's maintaining if you... the balance, right? Like, well, I actually prefer yeah. this over her being good. I don't want her to be good. I want her to be sometimes good, sometimes evil, like Zodak has often been portrayed. And you're never sure which side he's on because the point is maintaining the balance for them, right? I could see her in that Yeah, role. yeah. And they continued that with that multiverse comic that they did, too. Um, it was just a couple of issues where he had... Like the sorceress is proving to Zodak in every single multiverse that Adam is supposed to have the power or something like that. Right. It's the general concept. Um, I don't know. I guess I just feel maybe it was part of the rush 
again, like the rushed storyline that I just didn't understand why she was becoming a cosmic enforcer. Like why that's the point of the ending of her story. I don't know. Well, maybe they'll make more sense out of it if we get another season. <laughs> Quite true. Quite true. Can you bring the screenshot up of the Zodax again real quick? And I think I said Zors before when I met Zodax. Whatever, they start with Z. Um, <laughs> one of them has a weird beard thing. Yeah, what's with the tentacle beard guy? Yeah, because the That's other one is Strobo, right? So I don't know. I don't recognize that reference on the left, on our left. Okay. I want to make sure it wasn't just me. Yeah, no, um, I think yeah. um, like what Wondar was in there. Um, I didn't see 2000X Zodak though with the blue tattoos unless I blinked and he might have been there I'm sure I spotted him one shot Okay. Um, I was going to say I, I liked that we got Jeffrey Combs uh, as the voice of Zodak I don't know if everyone anyone's familiar with the works of Jeffrey Combs um, there's a lot of horror films but also another Star Trek actor um, he's played like multiple Star Trek roles. Um, whomst I have met. So that's that's my one Masters of the oh. Universe cast member that I've ever met. Is <laughs> nice. There you go. I thought that was kind of fun. <laughs> what did we think of? Um, so He Man and Skeletor get new costumes at the end. Now He Man's made sense to me because Gwildor modifies the power sword, which I loved that plot point, loved it, made sense to me. Um, he transforms into He-Man and he has new armor. It's beautiful. I, I really liked um, that design. And I'm sure I have a screenshot if I can pull that so out. So question, because I could not yes. see it, but in my, in my head canon, what I was visualizing, when Gwildor upgraded the sword, I was picturing the 2000X sword, which would have made a lot of sense with all the, the techno stuff on it. I, was that not what it was? No, but it does have a, like, it does mechanically open. Just it right. doesn't, it doesn't resemble or open in the same way that the 2000X. That's too bad, because that would have been a nice nod as well, I think. Um, that's interesting. Um, I agree. Uh, it was more like, uh, I have a screenshot up of it now. It was kind of more like, um, the circuitry of, for lack of a better term, a motherboard, like in a computer was added to the sword and then the sword opens up. Whereas the 2000 X one, as you know, it kind of like had the, it could turn different parts right. of it turned and things like that. Um, this was still pretty cool looking, but I agree with you. It would have been a very nice nod, especially because the 2000 X sword also kind of has a little bit of an element of the new adventure sword, uh, if you will. So like they could have actually kind of melded all those swords, uh, together, like when it opened up or something. It's really funny. I was thinking about this recently too, that the... When 2000X was going on, I remember not not hating, but not loving that power sword from that era. Um, even though there was so much else, like I the the character designs 
from that era are my, my by far my favorite masters designs overall uh for most of the characters that sword though like over time like the the original 80s style power sword is always going to be the power sword to me but mm-hmm. i i have a soft spot has grown for me <laughs> for the the 2000x sword that um wasn't there at the time when that era was going on but i do i do have a soft spot for it now mm-hmm. well just circling back my i guess the point i was making was he-man's upgrade made sense to me totally made sense uh with the upgraded power sword amplifying the power of grayskull yada 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 what I didn't like, and again, this is probably because we had five episodes, but after um, Skeletor kills, well, we don't say kill because he didn't kill. When he gave a boo-boo to Hordak and Hordak <laughs> went bye-bye, um, it was just like Evelyn, I think, says the line. She's like, uh, after she takes the havoc, you know, staff away from him or whatever, and he's like, "I don't need that, girl." Uh, he he just she has a line that she's like, "And Skeletor has figured out a way to fuse magic and technology." And I was just like, "How? What did he do to like have this epiphany?" Because that was not there was not. It's just like boom, Skeletor gets a new look too, and can do all of this stuff. And it was just like so fast that they had to a get rid of hordak um which don't get me wrong that skeletor hordak battle was fantastic i loved that especially since hordak you know transformed into the rocket and everything just like he did in in filmation but you know once they got rid of him very quickly it was just like boom now skeletor knows what what to do so i just think that was a little bit of convenience on on their part um to give skeletor a new look since He-Man had a new look? I don't know. I thought it would have made sense if Skeletor had just absorbed Hordak's power, like, after the battle. I thought mm. that's the way it was going, because I thought, why does Skeletor now have transparent arms? <laughs> like, the glowing transparent arms. I mm-hmm. didn't quite understand that. Although I liked the look. Like, I look forward to that figure. I was confused as to why he suddenly looked like that like it would have made more sense to me if he'd like he'd used the technology he'd used magic to steal ordak's technological power and fuse that with himself now that would have been cool like because you know he had that dark magic kind of swirling around hordak um (laughs) at the end yeah like if we would have seen like the tech tech parts of Hordak kind of like become dislodged from him, which would actually it also explain why he looks so limp and lanky in that tube at the end with when Despara, when you know when you find out he's not dead. Um, that would have been good. See, boom, right there. All we needed was another five to ten seconds of animation. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I still would rather have Skeletor the wizard than Skeletor the cyborg. Well, but I mean, he is like, I did like the aspect of like the epiphany of like, oh no, he's actually, so, you know, 
how you said earlier you really liked how in this iteration they kept Hordak was way more on the mm -hmm. technology side and and wasn't didn't like magic whereas no. in Mike Young Hordak was kind of more he you know he did that seance thing to do the uh, the light right. and dark hemispheres and, and a stuff. lot of mini comics and stuff like yeah. that too portraying them that way so I do kind of like uh, even though I I feel that Hordak is such a better villain than Skeletor, but um I I will give Skeletor props because I actually think this is a really awesome plot point that he would figure out it's not just magic or just technology. I'm going to actually use them both to my advantage, right? Instead of Hordak having you know like Shadow Weaver doing the magic stuff for him, and mm -hmm. not necessarily. I kind of liked that that that. Skeletor was perhaps now the ultimate evil, like the ultimate threat, because he was going to master both of them. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of like that. I, I do, but I just, I just wish it was fleshed out like how Martin had described it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what can you do? Um, one technological advance, if I may, um, since we've been positive here for a while, I would like to go into a negative. Um, I, while I absolutely loved Man at Arms, this new costume, uh, because it reminded me of, as an homage to the, uh, vintage toy Extendar, uh, the, the costume yeah, looked yeah. a little bit like Extendars. What I did not like is he became Iron Man. <laughs> like to me, he was like Iron Man. Like he's, you know, there's jets coming out of his boots and he's flying around in the air like he's Iron Man. Like that's that. I just didn't like that aspect. I think they should have used extend our powers, uh, perhaps not not Iron Man. That's just my one little complaint. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else cares. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I do. The radical redesigns. I, this was in Revelation to uh, the different versions. Like, really, do we have to have an entirely new look for every character all the time? Like, I know it's to sell the action figures that will inevitably get produced of these uh, things, and some of them are fine if they're justified uh, for the story, but. Boy, oh boy, I, 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 I have character redesign fatigue sometimes with uh, some of the newer stuff. I do think like so, some of the redesigns are just kind of them giving them a more a slightly modern look for this animation style. That, that, um, that part's fine, right? That's what they did for 2000X. Yeah. almost exclusively right like that part's fine what i'm but i don't think we need i mean how many across revelation and revolution how many different costumes does skeletor have like or whatever outfits designs whatever like it's just it's it's just it's a lot <laughs> it's like they're they're overcompensating for the fact that there was no variation in filmation with Human or Skeletor or Tila or Man in Arms or whatever. It's just I don't know. Well, I don't. You, I just, you know what would have fit was they could have like they used battle armor He Man right in this. They could have used. I feel like Terraclaw's Skeletor would have mm -hmm. fit very well at the end, or even like 
they could have did a homage to like what was it like discs of doom skeletor from new adventures um i think would have also fit that look um but yeah instead they just kind of you know redid brand new things what you gonna do they want to sell the toys though they could have made you know terror claws toys and, and things like that too i think a lot of times people want to put their own spin on things as well like they want their stamp if you will on on the property um <laughs> man no. i at least like that they incorporated a lot of elements to make he-man's design especially um if you bring him back up i'm sure you john could point at like every little thing and say where it came from um because like the hair reminded us of um new adventures and then he had the breastplate design from CGI. And what am I forgetting? The movie cape? Yes, yes. The movie cape. It was just, it was beautiful. Yeah, like I even went further than that. Like you can argue that even like uh, color scheme, they're paying a little bit of a tribute to She-Ra also with a red cape. Um, I, 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 I squeed, I saw that the ponytail, I immediately thought of New Adventures. I yeah. do think his facial structure and the haircut also in general is Dolph Lundgren uh, from the live action yeah. movie. Um, you yeah. already mentioned the, the elements from the new CGI. I actually do really like that new symbol um, for He-Man, which I did like in the CGI show as well. Um, so yeah, I thought those were... This design here has a lot of nods even though it's new yeah the skeletor one did not in my opinion have as much of an homage to other things so yeah missed opportunity perhaps the only thing i realized on the skeletor design was that he has like the epaulets from his 200x outfits like the little shoulder things mm. that was the thing that i noticed yeah. Than that it seemed quite quite a quite a redesign to me although his face gave me sort of new adventures it like, does especially with the red eyes yeah. uh too uh also makes me think of mike young and yeah it does i mean the facial structure absolutely looks and and the skin kind of tone or skin the skull to, uh <laughs> color tone looks like new adventures yeah I loved his crown. I loved just how they incorporated the crown. It's hard to put a crown on someone with a hood, but they pulled it up. <laughs> I think it would be cool. You know, I just accepted I, it. <laughs> I loved the line when Andra asks Keldor, where, why isn't he wearing his crown? And he like gives some like, you know whatever answer but says that like uh, so i just left it at home and then it's you know it's sitting in on motherboard's throne and then he-man's like oh no what a stupid person i am <laughs> <laughs> that was some good writing there i liked that yeah. the dynamics of that scene yeah you got some i i enjoyed the star trek reference um the I'm laughing at the superior intellect. I thought it was a great, uh, great shot. Uh, yes. Now these 
these references, like, well, so I wouldn't necessarily know those Star Trek references per se. Just like, you know, in Revelation, I didn't know one of the lines was from like Lord of the, like lifted directly from Lord of the Rings. But I think the lines that they chose for this did fit better than like when Marlena randomly said as if because just because she was, you know, Alicia Silverstone, like those type of things don't fit. But these ones actually fit for what is going on. And I loved that you pointed out, he said, what, that you shall not pass, but he said it in dragon language instead of actually saying it. So like little clever things like that, I can appreciate more than, than just repeating the line, I guess, too. Yeah, true. There was also a bit of foreshadowing I noticed this time I guess it's at the end of part two where there's all the shadow beasts in the in the battle and there's the big shadow dragon and it falls to the ground almost the same as Granomir. Um, so I was just like, ooh, I wonder if they were already planning at that time that they were going to do that. Um, it was just, yeah, a cool little detail. Isn't it? It's kind of neat, too, that they... They tapped so many Star Trek actors uh, for this. And it's like you don't, but it doesn't make it feel like it's a Star Trek episode or something. It's just these people, like the amount of emotion that um, Dr. Crusher, I'm blank, Gates McFadden did on Marlena, like, for, and not a big role, right? Not a big role, Queen Marlena, but just the depth that her performance gave to that character. I was madly impressed. Yeah, like, she was really good. So yeah. good. So good. And like John Delancey didn't sound like Q this time. Like a lot of things I've heard him in, I mean, I love him and I love him as Q, but like in My Little Pony, I feel like his character was just another version of Q. But Granamir, I feel like he really like uh, like purposely did not go that route and i appreciated that it had a different tone to it did a good job well i wish they could have had even if it was just like a one-off character or something that said a line they really should have got since they were on a star trek thing if they would have used uh robert duncan mcneil who was on voyager he was also <laughs> kevin in the live action movie yes. and i think that would have been awesome but I was expecting him, to be honest, to show, like, oh, to be, a, 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 like, a throwaway line or something. Like, he could have oh. been one of the, one of the characters. Like, he could have been, I don't know, Rio Blast or Buzz Off or something. That would have been funny. God, I also, I'm not, so good. who, I didn't even look to see who did, whoever did the voices for Too Bad, I thought were also really good. I loved the Too Bad scene. I oh, thought that was perfect. It was really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was really good. They reminded me of like Statler and Waldorf <laughs> Muppets. He's like, a snake mountain, you said. They're always hunting, you said. And it just reminds me of the little booth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. It was so good. Yes. Little things like that we appreciate. We definitely appreciate. Big time. I'll tell you this this doing this podcast has made me want to go rewatch Revolution immediately. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
So I think I said earlier, I did not on purpose watch uh, Revelation before this, right? But I did binge twice Revolution. My problem with watching, and I'd like to know your opinion on this, Katie, um, since you did watch rewatch Revelation beforehand. Does it, does watching Revolution improve your experience with Revelation? Or do you watch Revelation and be like, oh, this would be so much better if. Hmm. Because like, I, like I said, I, me, me, history for people who don't know i don't like tila just don't like her okay i like adora she is capable i just don't like i don't like tila i love tila in, in revolution like who would have thought you could make me like this character but i did not like her in as normal right in revelation and it's just like i feel like this comparatively speaking is just so much better and I've had no desire, I hate to say it, really no desire, you know, before this was coming out to watch Revelation again. I mean, I know people, no offense, Martin, don't like the new adventures, but I watch new adventures episodes from time to time, um, but I don't pull up Revelation and it's easier to pull up Revelation than it is new adventures. Um, <laughs> so uh, like, I, I'm worried that it'll make me dislike it more because I like revolution so much. So what do you think? Like, should I do it? Should I go back and rewatch it? I don't think it's really going to change your opinion because when I rewatched part two, it was the same things that bothered me, like Evelyn's parents turning into cannibals. I was like, oh my God, I had scrubbed that from my brain. It's so dumb. And oh, there it is again. Um, so things like that, seeing revolution first, or yeah, is not going to affect. And I think it even made me appreciate a few things in Revelation more than I did the first time around. So at the very beginning with Orko and everybody where it's very filmation-y, it was like, oh, I kind of missed that. I mean, there was a some elements of that in Revolution, but not as obvious maybe. So it really made me appreciate that. I think the voice actor who did Cringer did a better job in both parts of Revelation compared to Revolution. Ooh, For I agree with that. Yeah. I didn't like, I didn't really like him in Revolution. He was, yeah, it wasn't very strong. It was, yeah, it was yeah. odd performance. Like the lies were good. Just his delivery of them was like, It's like um, he kind of had like 10 minutes to hurry up and come in and record the couple lines that he said. That's kind of how it felt. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Are so you I oh, okay rewatching it? Good. Are you guys familiar with Machete Star Wars? Is that the order that you watch them in? Um, no, exactly. It was an edit. This was this was probably 10, 10 15 years ago. Uh, there was an edit of the Star Wars movies. I think you could. I think there was instructions for how you could watch it yourself. But basically. The idea was that you you watched the original trilogy of Star Wars, and then they would you would intersplice in bits and pieces of the prequels as like flashbacks, 
and it basically oh. eliminated everything that was terrible about the prequels and just kept a few gems that were here and there. I feel like something similar I wish somebody would do with Revelation, like do a re-edit of those 10 episodes and just cut out all of the things that don't work. <laughs> and you could probably get a, you know, somewhere between five and seven episode uh, edit of it that is much better than... Uh, than it in its entirety right now, which might also uh, flow better into Revolution, right? Because most of the problems with Revelation, at least in my opinion, are in the second half. And um, it would be interesting to see if, uh, if you know, some fan project at some point could come along that... Uh, that cuts it cuts the revelation down and tries to pull out all the good stuff and um and kind of ditch some of the stuff that didn't work it'd be interesting very similar like what they did with the machete star wars that would be interesting i agree i think it could be done too you could totally trim it down there was a lot of fat um for lack of a better way to say it uh in revelation well maybe i'll try it i was interested to watch it all the way through like Revelation one, two, then revolution. Um, you know, obviously end with the with the dessert at the end that <laughs> tastes really good. So yeah, maybe. Like it can be just like if you recall Ashira and the Princesses of Power. There was like a seat like you know, a season in the middle there that was just like, Oh, what are they doing now? Like this was so good and it's getting a little weird, and then it like picked back up and got better. So it could, maybe it would feel like that. Like there was just kind of that little lull in the middle until they get that upswing back up. Yeah. Well, do we have any other uh, super pressing uh, points we want to make? We are approaching the two-hour mark. Hey, I don't think notes. I've got anything else. I think oh, we're pretty good. When yeah, Orko has the sword at one point and goes, by the power of, and then they like stop him. And then Gwildor later on does the same thing, but he just says, I have the, and then stop. And I just thought that was adorable, but I kind of also want to see them both transform because that would be <laughs> hilarious. Um, they were oddly a great team, even when they, they were arguing. They seriously were. Line at the end, where you're like, I think those two have got the hearts for each other. <laughs> no shit. That really made me laugh. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll throw one last comment in here, too. I think watching. Um, revolution also made me kind of miss the the old days uh of filmation where you know we've had we had revolutions revolution part one and two we had revolution does every story now i i get it to a point i guess but does every single story have to be the end of the universe we must save the universe we must save the planet we must you know these enormous stakes i i i would love to see you know if they did in another season an episode or two or, or whatever just some sort of like side story side plot or whatever where it's hey we're gonna go on a quest for x thing that's mm -hmm. lost in the sands of time or whatever like so many of the filmation 
episodes were where it's not super high stakes. It's just a fun adventure for our heroes and villains to face off during. And uh, I kind of wish we it didn't have to be, you know, the end of the world for every um, for everything. <laughs> I think that's a negative we get with this type of storytelling that is expected these days. Like, um, yes, meaning a, well, like a continuous story arc, right? Because like filmation, you had your want like a ton of one off episodes, right? I mean, like you could basically, for the most part, go into any filmation episode and it's a contained story. No. Um, and I what I don't like is in, and I was, it's interesting. I was talking about this with someone else recently i don't even remember who it was um on how like that type of storytelling like the filmation stuff right it, today is looked down upon right oh there was no overarching story and flow you know it's not like a it's not like a soap opera right like where it's like this continuous thing but there is value to that like you just said like like a contained episode like i just love watching the dragon invasion which is a filmation episode i've always loved of he-man it's a contained story nothing there's you know the, there's small stakes and it's resolved at the end of the episode there is something to be said about that like not not needing it to be like you said it's like oh my gosh there's this huge thing we have to resolve at the end now well the you know the, the uh, new series of star trek films the last one didn't do as well and yet it is uh, star trek beyond and yet it is uh it, one of the ones i i enjoyed all three of the new star trek movies but i really enjoyed that last one because it wasn't the you know we have to save the earth from which the, basically the first two were to some degree or another you know whether it was Khan and the into darkness or uh, uh nero who was trying to destroy well did destroy vulcan and then went on to destroy earth tried to destroy earth it's like doesn't have to be save the world every single time and star trek beyond was more like an episode of star trek and some high stake type stuff going on and it was definitely you know bringing the characters forward and stuff but it didn't have to be you know the the universe is in jeopardy uh again like i i after a while um it's it's just kind of you end up repeating yourself a little bit and i would love to see some just some fun fantasy adventures with with uh this group in this continuity uh at some point even if it's like it doesn't have to even be short it's like a single episode contained but just like a subplot that they have to go find something or whatever that's you know contained within a couple of episodes or whatever they could make it work within the larger storyline if they wanted to still do that sort of storytelling. Uh, but yeah, like uh, a like a B plot, but a right, strong yeah, one exactly. like that has focus. Right. So we need. I, th I feel like we do. It, there, there's something definitely that uh, could be explored there. Didn't they do some of that in the CGI show? More so than here. Yeah, I would yeah. say. I wonder if part of it is just writing for kids but the versus CGI writing for adults. Terrible. No, it's not. It's, it's not. Awful. It's good. I do not like it. I can't. Well, me and I my can't. nephew love it. So <laughs> stick my tongue out at you. Uh, 
But yeah, I wonder if adult watchers are more expecting this massive arc. That's and true. Everything and this was that I saw actually some interesting enough. I saw complaints online about Revolution about some of the content in it. But this was not market. I understand it has He-Man, which is traditionally a you know children's toy line. But the toys in the aisle at, at you know Walmart and Target say "adult collector" on them, and this cartoon was absolutely marketed. It was not marketed towards children. That's what the CGI show was for. So, yeah. uh, while I understand it might be lovely for you to watch this show with your children. As I advise to any parent, and I am not a parent, so who am I to advise to them? But I always <laughs> advise, watch it first. And here's why. My dad went to the movie theater and saw the Masters of the Universe movie on Friday when it came out, meaning in 1987. I was, <laughs> okay, like I was literally four years old when the movie came out. So he went and saw it. He deemed it was okay for me. And then he took me on Saturday. Like, that's how I feel you should operate. If you're, you know, there's a rating on the Netflix <laughs> for the cartoon. And so, yeah, I think it has to do, long story short, with it. It was an adult story cartoon, which is why they feel they have to have that type of beginning, middle, end to the story that we're driving towards. Yeah. But in any case, I think we all really loved Revolution. So that's a positive. Uh, it has had positive fan reaction that I've seen online for the most part as well. Um, so kudos uh, to the creative team, uh, especially our friend Ted, who got to not only is he an executive producer on it, but he voiced Gwildor and he did an amazing job. Uh, and I loved uh, his Great Billy Barty impression. Yeah, yeah so yes. spot on. Yes. Um, and all of Revolution is available on Netflix. So I suggest subbing to Netflix and binging it multiple times during the month if you're going to cancel it later. <laughs> um, I'm also told I'm also told you need to give it the thumbs up on Netflix. That helps their algorithm. So binge it and give it the thumbs up. That's what I did on. I had my dad do it on his account. Like nice. get your friends. We want to see more of uh, Masters of the Universe. Um, thanks for watching, uh, Masters Cast, the podcast. You can check out all of our old episodes, and by old, I mean like back to like 2005, are all on all popular podcast uh, platforms like Apple and Spotify, or go to masterscast.com and figure it out from there. Uh, and if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, hit subscribe and like button because it doesn't cost you anything, but it's wonderful for us if you enjoyed our company. <laughs> Um, and as always, because uh, on, you know, Eternia, you do not say goodbye. You say good, good journey. journey.